Welcome back to Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. In this episode, you get to be a fly on the wall of a conversation between Ryan McCormick and Lisa Hunt. Now, they know that they were being recorded, but it was an impromptu conversation that led to some great insights on facilitating problem-solving activities. We're going to talk about a variety of topics around facilitation, adventure learning, experiential ed, problem solving. You've been facilitating using problem solving activities for a while. And one of my first questions for you, Ryan, is are there specific things in your approach now that you would differentiate from how you were first trained or you first learned specifically around the value, the role of problem solving activities for people in a school environment? Like, how do you look at that differently now? I think sort of what's evolved for me is the idea of defining what problem solving is in terms of what the problem is. I think sometimes we might, we, we lump that all together with like conflicts, like when there's something wrong versus like just trying to be creative to solve a problem, to make a, a process more efficient or um, the classroom work a little bit better by actively engaging in that. So starting with like, what do we really mean when we talk about problem solving? So what does that mean for you? How do we, like, how would you classify or like look at an activity and go, oh, I would call this a problem solving activity. Are there criteria that, that are there for you? Yeah, I, I think that it's really when, when the group is asked to work together to fill in a bunch of gaps in their knowledge around, I don't know how this works. Mm-hmm. And so I think facilitating it has changed a lot. When, when we get into like the empowerment piece, it's really stepping back. And that's, that's been hard, like not helping with the solution or trying to give too many answers away, but really watching. I think problem solving is something that brings up a, like sort of all of these different components around the group dynamics. It's not just I solved the problem or I found a solution to X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, we'll, we'll work with students and, and I see a lot of us do this more and more, but over the years of working with students, if they get done and, you know, say they do a whale watch activity and they balance it. For me, it's less about did they actually get to the point where they balanced it and more about how are people sort of treated and contributing and valued on the team. And so we'll, we'll get it balanced. But, you know, having watched what happened, there was a lot of uh, heavy feelings, some frustration, people stepping away, people not speaking very kindly to each other. Uh, it just sort of breaks down. There's a lot of frustration. We're really trying to give people the tools to work through that in that process. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. So we'll have them completely reach the, I think, what they think is the goal. It's to balance and hold it for so long on the whale watch. But then we'll say, well, how do we measure success? How do people feel walking away from this? What do you think people are feeling by the looks on faces, things like that? So I think the problem solving has been my focus and others has changed more on what's the process and what's that sort of human dynamic process to it. Yeah. Um, and I think, yes, and that has informed my thinking. And one of the th- things I'd love for you to expand on is this idea of like capturing the lesson. And one of the things, so if you take that whale watch example, like it's not really a life skill to be able to balance the whale watch. It's how do we feel right. in that process <laughs> and how do we treat each other? Right. 
for people who are newer to using problem solving activities, especially if they're stumbling upon an activity guide online and they're sort of picking up a text and learning how to use key punch or what are some pieces that a newer teacher who is putting on a facilitator hat could consider in terms of making it not about like, what's that fine line between success in the activity and then looking at the potential real lessons? I know it's a very complicated question, but I'd love to hear some of your reflections on. Yeah, I think the first thing is the framing piece around how do you set activities up? Early on in my career, I was just so open to like, here's the problem that we need to solve, go. And then it came back to the debrief around like, well, what happened? And then I had to think really quickly, whereas now we're so much focused on like, here's the specific thing, skill, concept that we want you to think about. So going into any kind of problem solving piece and knowing how that plays out, like let's say the whale watch, um, I might ask a group like, let's talk about what success looks like here. How would we define that as a group we were successful? And if they think back on what we've been working on leading up to that, most groups are going to go to not only did they, you know, accomplish the goal of finding balance, but they also had a process. They used the ABCDEs of problem solving. They used, you know, their norms within the group and how they want to treat and interact with each other. They fell back on, on some communication skills that were taught. So it's kind of putting all those pieces together and defining successes. We reached our mission and people feel good that they all feel like they contributed somehow and that they were treated kindly. I mean, I think depending on the problem, there's going to be stress where it might bring out a little snappiness in somebody. But I mean, the overall, like are people just saying I'm done and walking off into the woods? In the one of the introductory chapters of the Tinker book, you and Anne Louise, you know, shared some thoughts around framing and, you know, one of the ideas is like targeting the learning. And I think framing can do that. I've seen that happen for all of you or all of us who facilitate in this realm of if you can direct, like what's the topic we're going to be focusing on? Because you could do, again, we'll stick with the whale watch. Right. That could be about how do you balance things in your life? It could be about how do we treat each other? It could be about trust. It could be about connections. But if you're giving that specific, this is what we're going to be thinking about, then it can really help focus the conversation, the transfer of learning after. Yeah. Is that Absolutely. And I think it's almost, it's it's really interesting and somewhat amusing to think that like if I do more work and have more clarity at the start of an activity, that the part that I think is challenging for myself and, and others, which is how do we transfer, make sense, and, and debrief and talk about what happened, it's, it's so much easier because you're narrowing it down for folks right. and saying like we're going to look at like when things get really challenging, how does that change how we might treat each other when we're frustrated? So as we go through this activity, like really think about what are those feelings you're experiencing and are you managing them or are you sort of taking it out? Or, you know, for you, are you somebody when you get frustrated, you're really going to dive in and, and try to like fight the problem or fix it? Or are you going to take off? You know, and we have that's group dynamics, right? People have different ways in which they address sort of those needs in the moments. The more that I've been specific and I, there's a difference that you're not saying today you're going to learn X, Y and Z. Right. I'm saying what I would inviting you to do is to think about what's happening when you right. see this. So right. as people get frustrated, how are you reacting? What do you see in others? So then later, it's very easy to come back and, and, and debrief the process. I want to make sure I caught that difference because I think it's really important. What you're saying, you're not saying this activity is the lesson about frustration, for right. example. It's an opportunity for us to reveal something that maybe we didn't know about ourselves before or to have a it's like a, a a laboratory to have a conversation about right. a certain topic that's yeah. i think that's an important piece for folks to consider that the problem solving activities aren't going to be the lesson right. they're going to be a, a a place to bring them alive
I want to switch to activity selection. And you and I have talked about this for years. And I think one ways that, one of the things that has informed me is NASPE, the National, National Association of um, Sport and Physical Education, describes intrinsically motivating activities. And I probably can't name all four, but it's like ones that provoke curiosity, creativity, offer choice, and are challenging. And I wonder, like, when you think about edge of leadership and maybe your work in grades five and up, are there like a set of common ingredients for you that you're like, this has the potential to be a good activity? And I know, I know we're not going to talk in black and whites. So there's always going to be exceptions. But is there like a little filter that you have that's like, hmm, these are common elements of a successful learning experience in terms of problem solving? It's more about what's the level of challenge that we've already sort of put people through. Mm -hmm. So there's like a sweet spot and like, I had a teacher once say like, you're the only people I know who can, you know, kids get so excited that you're coming, but sometimes when you're here, you really make it hard for them. Like they really experience like they're upset. It sort of ends tough uh, because you really challenge them and that's not always like happy. Yeah. So I think that says that we're kind of hitting hitting the mark around pushing and then kind of bringing it back and, and going. So with problem solving, and you never really know what's going to be hard. Uh, we use a, an activity called Perfect Square. And I thought, you know, first time a colleague shared that with me and said, hey, I want to try this. I thought, like, so this is like blind polygon without the blindfolds. Like, how hard is that? And I was completely wrong. And we did this with fifth graders. And it was unbelievable how hard it was for them to make a perfect square and it, then you see what is the things that makes it hard and it was the things like we have different like the success piece comes back some people feel like this is good enough other people are like this is not a square right we have different levels of detail yeah so that that's what broke down as it was to me i thought they were just going to put it down and make a square yeah. and it didn't it was a really it was a pretty amazing and powerful experience the first time we saw it play through and it was hard and then I thought, oh, it's hard because it's with fifth graders, they're 10 years old, and I did it with adults shortly after, and we use it quite a bit because now we've, we've studied so many of the dynamics that it brings up, it's, it's easy to go to and say like, so what happened here and what happened there? But yeah, even adult groups, whether it's trainings or in a direct service program, have really struggled, almost like helium hoop. And I'm, I'm completely amazed, like differently, people start to realize that we have different expectations for how things yeah. turn out. So in that way, I mean, that progression sounds really important. Like if you did perfect square on day one versus after you've done some connections and work with emotions, like it's going to have a different process. Right. So what's the context of it? I also wonder if there's something that you could talk about in terms of how and who and when success is defined. I mean, I, I think asking the group if they're capable, like what, how would they define success in any kind of problem solving? Because I know for me personally, I've watched a group and I've, I've shared that reflection later once, once they've sort of processed some things and saying like, even though we weren't successfully able to do this, like to balance this or to solve this problem, your process was really awesome. You shared ideas, you treated people well, you just sort of failed at this one piece, but there was success there. Because we're, I mean, we're always saying like, you are, you're, I think you've already mentioned it, but it's like, I'm not training you to get good at balancing things or building stuff. It's more about how we think. And then when we're challenged, how do we treat people in that process? So, right. and, and like, you, you, we talk about the emotions. So we'll go back either, you know, if we've had the emotion unit and then we get into problem solving, that's, we're often coming back to like, well, what are people's experiences with feelings and how did you manage that? What did you need to do? Did you step away and then come back? Did you sort of lash out at somebody? Right. 
And so, you know, that those like different emotions can come up, not just in problem solving activities, they can come up anywhere. They do seem to come up specifically in moments where there's high pressure or like there's a performance piece, like we were playing, you know, a pretty light game earlier this morning that could potentially feel stressful. And I want to do a little bit of a like meander off of the problem solving thing and talk about some approaches for a newer again, a teacher who's putting on more of an open-ended facilitator hat, like some strategies for when you're not sure where the conversation is going to go. And I'd love you to speak specifically about how you can, you know, I have an approach in mind and I, ho- I hope that you sort of can read my mind here. It's like when a, when a student says, I'm so mad or I'm so frustrated and it can be that like, what are you supposed to say to that as a teacher, right? Like, am I supposed to comfort them or like, mm-hmm. And the way of making that student realize they're not alone, there are other people who, can you walk us through like what that looks like for you and then what the result of that process is? Yeah, no, I, I think I know what you're asking. You know, because I think you and I have had this conversation before of just like, how do you be a good friend to somebody? Um, and what, it, you know, how do you want to be supported? And we both shared, you know, like for me, it, it, it's not helpful when somebody tries to solve the problem, especially like right when it's happening. It's really about being validated. And I love when someone says, yeah, I understand. And they don't even go on to say like, well, yeah, I understand because this is what was going on in my life. It's just like, I can totally hear why that would be hard for you right now. And you can do it in a way that works for you. But just having validation, I feel like a lot where I have something and someone says, no, 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 and they're trying to change my mind. It's like, no, let me just feel bad about myself right now or like not be happy with that. And so if you take that into that idea that like validation is a really important piece when somebody expresses a feeling, that's what we're trying to do in the classroom, which makes it easier to facilitate because I don't have to say, okay, Lisa, here's how you solve your problem. It's like, here's what's going on. Now go back to the problem solving lesson. What can we take from that? How do we solve our own issues, but get support from our our peers or friends or whoever it might be. But the other piece is, is validating, but then also asking the question, like who else might feel that way? We bring this question up a lot. Not in a way to say like, well, you know, you're not the only one, but to, it helps feel that connection when we're hurting a little bit sometimes, or even when we're excited. But, you know, if somebody says I'm really mad and it's, it's a group context because of a problem solving activity or an experience in the classroom, I'm going to ask like, who else feels that way? And then a bunch of people sort of said, okay, here in this process, here's where we're at. And there's a lot of us that are upset. Are we okay with that? No. Great. So, you're trying to go back to the strategy of let's walk away from this for a second, regroup, have a conversation. Um, but sometimes we think like, this is frustrating me, not anybody else. And I have seen, like literally, if I could take the temperature of a group and like strong emotions are productive, right? It's right. a matter of like, how can we keep them productive and not have them be a constant source of frustration? And from that moment of like, I'm so, I'm so mad that like you keep stepping on my foot in the whale watch. And it's like, sounds like Lisa's frustrated. Is anybody else feeling frustrated? And you see the hands go up. It's like, do you see this? It, like the frustration goes down just right. by doing that. Yeah. I think it's the validation. It's like when I feel better, a little bit better, it goes down when I'm having a bad day and someone says, like, just says, yeah, I get how you could feel that way. Not you shouldn't or. Yeah. That's because you're doing this. You know, I always have, you all have that friend that will say like, oh, that's because you don't blank, 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 or you're not doing this enough. Or why don't you just try blah, blah, blah. It's like, that doesn't take care of the, like, I feel like I'm the only one who. Or you're overreacting or whatever it might be. So I think it's really important when we talk about that strategy of like, who else feels this way? It's not a facilitation technique. It's a technique that is the tip of this bigger piece, which is we want our participants to know that they're not alone and that there are probably other people who feel the same way they and you're helping to make that apparent, 
yeah. right? And I've seen that approach. Tell me if I see this differently, if you see it differently. I've seen that look a couple different ways. One is somebody says a comment and you can immediately look for that connection, right? Who else feels this way? I've also, it can be initiated from you as a facilitator, right? Like I'm noticing that we're not really getting anywhere. Oh, yeah. Does anybody else notice that, right? And like, do you feel like it, that's a similar approach and skill and outcome? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a thing called, you know, this awareness at a level of like self, others, and the collective. You, you can't just have that skill. I mean, some people might intuitively have it and they can think, they think bigger picture or more about themselves or more about others, but trying to find a balance, which is part of, we link that to like having some strong leadership skills when I can become more aware of myself, others, and collective. And I think that's part of it. We can't be attuned to what's going on with the groups around us unless we like ask people to practice that. And like to evaluate, like, what do you think is going on for yourself? How are others feeling? Are there, you know, so we're, we're kind of zooming in and out a lot to create those awareness with those questions. Um, and like problem solving activities, they just create an amazing place to do that because it will bring out all kinds of dynamics. And that's what we want people to study is like, how do we work together? And I think sometimes in my early facilitation training, the idea that problem solving activities were a tool for something else that was like a secret, you know? And I think in Edge of Leadership, it's like, we're doing this so that we can experience what it's like when we feel frustration. And I think that just like putting your cards on the table yeah. is so productive. And I don't know why the, the idea that like the lesson is to be hidden and only held by the teacher and to be discovered by students is a real, it doesn't really have a lot of value in the kind of activities we're talking about. Last week, we were in a meeting together and, and Phil was in the room and we were talking about our daughters doing this activity called paper golf. Mm -hmm. It's a drawing activity. And then Phil's daughter immediately wanted to create her own like version of the game. And you said, I love that. That's when you, when you have somebody create their own version, they're onto something. So I'd love you to, can you say more about that? And like, how does that belong in facilitating problem solving activities? Yeah, I think it's like the next level of sort of ownership I'm trying to think back, you know, there's like the the model around learning where you're, uh, you know, you hear it and then you practice it, but then when you teach it, it continues to solidify. And I think that's it. When you get excited to to make your own version, it's it's like a higher understanding of what you're doing. And I think like that describes a lot of sort of my career personally is seeing something and saying, oh, I want to make my version. It's about studying. I mean, right now it's like I'm doing all this like watching the stars and, and launches and stuff. So I'm creating diagrams. You could find a thousand diagrams of the scale of different planets, but it's exciting to do it on your own. And I think that's what paper golf and being able to do that. Now you really have to understand the game to lay it out. What's going to challenge others? This would challenge me. Like It's like the problem solving thing. Doing that, you're going to learn a lot about how other people interact with the game. And it, yeah, it's just another, you're becoming the, almost a teacher when you start to do that. Mm -hmm. It is definitely a different level of ownership. And I, I don't, like that was, a, those are my big questions. And I want to give space for you to add any other comments that may not have come up. But in terms of ownership, I want to specifically for a teacher who is learning an activity from a book. And it's easy, I think, for us as experienced facilitators to be like, oh, just modify it. But like, that's hard to do when you don't know, like, where do you modify? Like, are there specific things that you could think of that are like, if you love an activity, but it's not quite right for your group, like, how could you make those two things work together? Or like, 
what are some basic tinkering concepts? Not basic because it's right. not basic to everyone, but like what are some easy to implement? I don't know why I keep trying to qualify it. Right. What are some steps <laughs> that one could take to make an activity more relevant to a specific group? Yeah, I mean, I think like anything, we're talking about developing skills and to develop skills when you practice. So, you know, it, it's hard to just say, okay, I'm new to this and then read something or see a video and right. say like, ah, oh, it didn't hit the mark with my group. I think don't beat up on yourself and know over time you'll get more familiar with that. One of the joys of, of edge leadership has been able to work with, you know, the same group of, of fifth graders for an entire year and then into sixth grade. So it's like three, sometimes many years past graduation in high school that we work with them. So we can see how these activities sort of work. And I think classroom teachers would have that same opportunity. Don't be afraid to go back to activities that you've already done. I, there's so many times people say, oh, I've already done that. And it's like, yeah, but how many hard things in your life have you done over and over again? This is their opportunity to get better. So if, if it doesn't quite work and you didn't meet that, tweak it a little bit and bring it back to your group, um, whether that's a few days later. I mean, we do that very intentionally from some stuff that we know is hard and groups are gonna experience a lot of sort of frustration around failure or you know, it not being easy to then to the end of the year. And I would say nine out of 10 times they experience growth and they start to say, wow, uh, why was this so hard for us? Especially if we now we have the luxury to go from do something in fifth grade that's really hard that we know they're going to remember, like the perfect square. In sixth grade, we come back and put the just put the rope, the same rope from the perfect square, and the kids, the students are just like, no, not this game. Ah! And they, but then they, but they don't really need it though. Right? No, they don't. They want to tell. They're like, I mean, we love you know telling those stories of when things were tough. So they're like, oh, my group did this, and we yelled at each other, and so and so left, and you know, and some groups are like, ah, you know, there's few that that did really well with it early on. Mm -hmm. And then it's great, it's a great reflection. Talk about intrinsic motivation, they're already like, and then we'll say, yeah, let's try it again, but what would you have changed? And then they're able to really quickly do it. And then they recognize the growth, but they're like, why was it so hard? Mm -hmm. You know, I think Tinker is a good, I'm jumping subjects here, or, but Tinker is a good example of a book where we're really at saying, learn, learn a small amount of activities, right? And I think this is a good, Sort of buffet of different types of activities. So if you've got some good problem-solving activities, good communication activities, and you know them well, and that like once you really get to know them, then move on to new. But you know we are we're worried about the sort of new piece all the time. But then you can learn like that. And sometimes I've learned wonderful things by accident because I I set a rule wrong or I forgot a rule. For me, one thing that stands out is you know the, the game Mass Pass. Which traditionally is a, is a you lay out a, a rectangle of rope on the ground and the group gathers around it and there's some rules around how they have to pass objects and get it f objects from one bucket to the other and, and it's a timed event in most cases and i've always sort of grown up in the field with it being a rectangle you know one day we went into the classroom and that was the problem solving activity it was a sixth grade classroom i believe and realized like there really wasn't enough room and it, it, th there was a problem, right? It was like, this isn't really going to fit. They're going to be on top of each other. And Anne Louise and I, you know, we very quickly said, like, why does it have to be a rectangle? And we went back to some other things where we've given the group. And we said, this is about creating your space. Let's just give them the rope and say they have to create a shape. And we just tried it and we we're willing to be experimental. So maybe that's another, another tip there is try things out. Uh, don't get stuck into, like, the rules and how you think a game. And we all do it. I still do that. It's... It's like hard to break out of that. But then that completely changed MassPass as I will forever know it. And it seems silly. There was so much more to talk about. 
in that process. And it gave, they were so much more intrinsically motivated because they had more control over creating their own environment. They got to change the shape to, in the process of problem solving to see what would be more efficient. Is it a long skinny rectangle? Is it just a pile of rope in the middle? And it's just, I think for both Anne Louise and I at the time, we saw so much creative thinking because we again, didn't create the structure. And I always go back, like we're always creating structure. We create the rules, we create so much for students. Yeah, so the more, and we just keep applying that. Like I, the, the cube was another version of like, wait, we don't have to set this up. And it beca becomes like the most creative, exciting part of the activity is for the group to build their own web. Yeah. And it doesn't take much time. I think that um, there's two things that you just made me think about. One is we're problem solving all the time whether we're in a facilitated environment or not. Like I'm trying to problem solve, how do I park my car so that I can get out at the end of the day and problem solving with my husband about who's gonna get the kids today. And so I think the precious opportunity with doing this intentionally contrived, and I don't mean that in a negative way, like again, we're not looking at life skills if you can lower a hoop, is that it helps us approach all the other problems that we have to solve on a daily basis with maybe more emotional regulation or more connection to each other. So you were saying some things that were connecting some dots, but I, you know, problem solving activities can also be used as get to know you activities. And that, I think the, the best example, and you've been a part of this, is the Pond Traverse activity we do day one of our three-day summer program for high school students and teachers. And I've had other staff who have joined and said, what does this have to do with getting to know you? And in students saying like, whew, we were doing all this other stuff and then we jumped right into this. And it was like, yeah, for like who shows up for you when things get stressful? And that activity has a very low rate of success. Their success is they worked hard and they worked long and they kept each other in you know, relatively high spirits and they stayed there till the end. They did all these great human things. Did, you know, probably a very small percentage of students went across the sort of zipline Tyrolean traverse, which they have no knowledge of how to make without touching the water. Most people get dragged through the swamp. But yeah, it's that piece of like when things get tough, because we always, we tend to spend more time in the beginning where it's that superficial, like, hi, I'm Ryan. Oh, you're Lisa. Where do you live? Oh, I live here. Oh, do you know this person? Like we're on our best behavior. But if a group really wants to be successful and overcome really hard challenges or be successful in however they've identified it, they have to start to learn of like who shows up when things get stressful for each other. Right. So then when they realize it, like, oh, I learned so much about people today. It's like, yeah, now let's take that into tomorrow. The key thing, and this is getting a little bit into like problem solving level two, which is great. I could talk about this with you all day. I think that there's a myth that in order for the lesson to really stick, that there has to be success. And the Heath brothers say in one of their chapters, it's a really basic quote, but it's something like, if you want people to really bond like cement, give them something very difficult early on in their process. And that's what you're talking about. And I think it's sort of like whether you got everyone across the pond or not, there's just some elements to that, right? There's like discovery, we're doing something difficult and, and maybe you heard me whisper under my breath, like, and you're not cutting it off. And I right. think unlike a lot of problem solving activities, we're all constrained by the bus is here, the bell's gonna ring. And it's really different for folks to engage in a task where like there's no savior, right. like the teacher's not gonna end this, my parents aren't coming to pick me up. And so there's, it's a, it's a special activity that you can really let play out yeah. how it needs to, right? Yeah, I think it's, it's so important. I remember Jim and I the first year in 2000, the summer 2011, doing the EOL summer program. And we both had this, you know, walked away from that thing. Like we're really bringing this hard work adventure piece sort of back to some level that it's that the challenge course rather than the success course, which we've talked about. But, you know, 
having more of a background early on in my career with being in the backcountry and yeah. mountains and climbing, when I meet up with their adults now, but, but with kids that remember those trips, or even in the summer program, like what they remember is that hard swamp thing. Yeah. And, but now they're smiling and they're telling stories. And I think for me, like if I'm gonna tell you stories about my years in the mountains, it's probably the storms and the bad weather and the, I was cold and we got lost. And the same thing with kids. When they talk about at the end of the week, their like favorite parts of the trip, it was like, oh, when we bushwhacked and we got lost or you know, when it poured so hard we couldn't hear each other. Not massive catastrophes, but just really hard moments where people were questioning like, can I do this? And then they did. It's like, you feel good about that. It's like you're giving them the rope to do perfect square again in sixth grade. And, and they're like, no, but like if you, if you were like, never mind, they'd be like, no, no, no come on, we, we can do it. One of the things I've been inspired to do, especially after a lot of conversations with friends and family this summer around like control and power that I have as a facilitator in terms of my culture and other people's culture and like how much really power I hold over people when I'm facilitating them through an experience where I know what's next and they don't. One of the things I've been doing is going over my agenda, going over my activities and saying, where am I holding too much control? Where am I holding too much power? Are there too many rules? Am I defining success according to me? Like, where can I loosen up a little bit? And I think that the more we can do that as facilitators, the more the learning is going to stick and be authentic. And I just wonder if you could speak to that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when it started, but it became more of something that we focused on, you know, when when Connect and Power Lead became more of uh, the mantra or the, the guiding themes for that. And we started to look at empowerment and stepping out of the way. I think personally, like I grew up in a place where people were busy. So I, by nature, had a lot of like, go and figure that out and was allowed to tinker with, you know, cars in a junkyard or, or, you know, things way out in the woods. So I naturally gravitate towards, I just want to experiment and, and play with this. But when we looked at developing the Edge of Leadership Summer Program, that was a big piece is how do we really step back? Because you said, as you introduced this, like as a facilitator knowing what's coming next. I wanted to feel discomfort as a facilitator and go to the edge of leadership of like, what am I really asking people to do? And do I actually know the outcome? Now, not to the point where I think things are gonna be dangerous on a challenge course or in the pond, but maybe just not knowing how people might react as much and stepping, just even the act of giving some distance between me and the people learning how to do the challenge course. And I think for anybody that's been a part of that summer program, that's, that's been one of the challenges. And a lot of us come out of it saying, wow, I over-instruct everything. I give too much rules. <laughs> and if adventure's about those unknowns, I create those unknowns. I don't know. What do you think's going to happen? Can we do this? How do you think that would change the, like, I, it, I think once it clicks, it becomes like, you almost overdo it. Like, mm -hmm. I'll be over here having coffee. You all figure that out. I think even not knowing sometimes, like, I, activities where I'm not with a group, and some people were like, that, that was hard because you want to be able to debrief. So if I don't know what happened, but then you're in the uncomfortable place of having to say like, well, what happened? Did anybody get frustrated? Like you're trying to ask the questions and even that's become really neat to, to get back into and have them come. What I, everything I'm going on is through their interpretation right. of the group, not right what I saw in my bias and things. But I think the simplifying the frog piece that you bring up, that was part of a, in college, it's like an art course. And we were asked to draw any animal that 
uh, we that we liked or thought of and do it in as much detail as possible. And so we all did that. I happened to choose a frog, drew it all in, in pencil and graphite so that it looked close to real as possible. And then <laughs> what you didn't know is it started a whole series. So the next piece was that same frog, but give up a little of the detail and give up a little detail and do a whole series. And there were so many of them that you would draw and each time you would simplify it and simplify it and simplify it. And the idea was how simple do you get a line, you know, like how simple can you make this so that somebody else would look at it and still recognize that it was, that's a frog. And I think that, you know, we, we I think a lot of people, as I shared that, have kind of taken on that idea of like, okay, how do I simplify this process? from something that's really complex. And that's with activities now. I love to look at an activity and say like, what are unnecessary? Yes. <laughs> and a lot is unnecessary. Lot. Okay, there's some write-ups in some of the older books that are so detailed, I would never remember. And I think when you can simplify an activity to see like what creates the dynamic that you're looking for, yes. what creates it, that all of a sudden unlocks you to like, now add your stuff to it. Like, you know what I mean? Like. What can you change or how can you combine that? Like you can really tinker if you can get to the root of what makes an activity work. And like for MassPass, it has nothing to do with making like that set up. There's just what somebody wrote up and how they did it the first time. Right. Taking that out right. completely and some other things. But you know, like the pattern part of that is pretty important because it creates like if you took that out, you wouldn't recognize that it was a frog in right. that exactly. example. So I think that like what you're saying, again, thinking about a newer facilitator is like, even if you read all the rules in a book, you could still take some out until you sort of figure out like what's the essence of the activity for you. And then you could calibrate, like you might be working with a group that, well, they really will thrive with a time component or some type of challenge that is like that you're introducing. So it doesn't mean that like you strip it bare and then leave it bare right. necessarily. Exactly. Right, you could add some complexity. Like key punch is a classic ad adventure problem solving activity. And the way I learned it was like place the spots two feet apart and penalty this and penalty. And I just couldn't keep track of all of it. So I stopped using the activity. And right. it's like, what is it I love about this activity that I could bring back? And it's yeah. that simplifying piece. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about, thanks for listening to High Five's podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs> <laughs>